Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. As always, I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain at JG Ministries, and I'm glad to have you with me. Be sure to follow this podcast to receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are in the book of Luke and unpacking chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to that chapter, and we'll begin with verse 17. Let's get into it. Now, last time we looked into the lives of the disciples to give us a sense of who they were and why Jesus chose them. Now we continue with Jesus healing a great multitude of people, and then we'll begin unpacking the words of Jesus with the blessings and woes. So if you turn to chapter 6, verse 17, let's go ahead and read, Jesus heals a great multitude. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all the Judea, Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and be healed for their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. And they healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. I want to stop there. I want to take a look at these verses before we move on to the blessings and woes. And I'm going to look at verses 17 and 19 together. The following discourse is not identical with the Sermon on the Mount that we see in Matthew chapter 5. That was delivered the blessings uh, that the, that had blessings but no woes. Now this is both. Now there are other differences in words, length, and in emphasis. But notice that this message of stern discipleship was given to the multitude as well as the twelve disciples. It seems that whenever a great multitude followed Jesus, he tested their sincerity by speaking quite bluntly to them. Christ first woos, and then winnows, if you will. The level place is probably a flat area or a plateau that was on the mountainside. That's mentioned in Matthew chapter 5. Luke mentions a great multitude, a large crowd of Jesus' disciples. And there was a number of these great people who came to listen to Jesus. The people came to be healed and to have demons cast out of them, as well as to listen to Jesus' teachings. And although Jesus directed his comments to his main 12 disciples, he was surely conscious of his larger audience. People had come from all of Judea and Jerusalem in the south, uh, from Tyre and Sidon in the northwest. Uh, there was Gentiles as well as Jews. People, people, they had demons, and they pressed close to touch Jesus because Jesus, his power flowed through him, and by people just touching him, could be healed. It's very important to realize how revolutionary the teachings of our Savior are. Remember that he was going to the cross. He was going to die. But then he was going to be buried, he would rise again on the third day, and then he would return to heaven. The good news of free salvation must go out to the entire world. The redemption of men depended on their hearing of his message. How could the world be evangelized? Astute leaders of this world would organize a vast army 
provide liberal finances, generous food supplies, entertainment for the morale of the men, and good public relations. Now that's going to finish us up with the healing of the multitude. And now we're going to jump right into the woes, the Beatitudes. Jesus' Sermon on the Plain here and his similar Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7 was something like a keynote address. It was a basic affirmation of the kingdom message, beginning with Beatitudes and ending with a parable about builders. When Within this framework, Matthew and Luke present samples or selections of Jesus' teachings that differ at certain points. Now, Luke's version has funny points that we'll discuss a little bit later here. But let's get back to our Bible, and let's start reading the scriptures about the Beatitudes. I want to read the first four verses, and then I want to visit about those, because these are going to be the blessings. And then later on, we'll read the woes, and we'll discuss them. But I want to keep them separate for now. So beginning with verse 20. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in like manner, their fathers did to the prophets. Now looking at verses 20 through 23. Now Luke's version of the blessings or the Beatitudes is shorter than the one that is given to us in Matthew. And it is different in some particulars. He also includes a negative form in the woes that we'll begin to. Both blessings and woes are, are familiar forms in the Old Testament. The entire theme of reversal of fortune has already been encountered back in Luke chapter 1. It is also implicit in the attention Luke gives to social and religious outcasts throughout this gospel. Now, Jesus chose 12 disciples and sent them out poor, hungry, persecuted. Can the world be evangelized this way? The answer is yes, and it can't be evangelized in any other way. The Savior began with four blessings and then proceeded with four woes. Now let's start taking a look at these blessings. Blessed are you poor. Not blessed are the poor, but blessed are your poor. Poverty in itself is not a blessing. It's more sometimes often a curse, but here Jesus was speaking about a self-imposed poverty for his sake. He was not speaking of people who are poor because of laziness, tragedy, or, or reasons beyond their control. Rather, he was referring to those who personally choose to be poor in order to share their Savior with others. And when you think about it, it is only sensible, reasonable approach. And suppose the disciple had gone forth as wealthy men. People would have flocked to the banner of Christ with the hope of becoming rich themselves, monetarily-wise. As it was, the disciples could not promise them silver and gold and riches of that kind. If they came at all, it would be in quest of spiritual blessing. Also, if the disciples had been rich, 
they would have missed the blessing of constant dependence on the Lord and of proving his faithfulness. The kingdom of God belongs to those who are satisfied with the supply of the current needs so that everything about that can go into the work of the Lord. Now, blessed, as elsewhere in the New Testament, refers to the religious joy that one receives from sharing in the salvation of the kingdom. The poor are those who are utterly dependent on God. They are the spatial recipients of the good news that Jesus came to preach. Now, often the economically destitute sense their need of God more than others. To inherit the kingdom of God is the opposite of poverty. Now, take note of the emphasis that is given in sense of assurance that the present tense gives. Yours is, which shows the emphasis of mine. Now, what Jesus is suggesting is that there are some aspects of the coming kingdom of God that are already present. In other words, the poor can rejoice even in the midst of their destitution because they're already able to partake of some kingdom blessings. Now let's take a look further. Blessed are you who hunger now. Now, once again, this does not mean the vast hordes of humanity who are suffering from malnutrition. Rather, it refers to disciples of Jesus Christ who deliberately adopt a life of self-denial in order to help alleviate human needs, both spiritually and physically. It is people who are willing to get along on a plain, inexpensive diet rather than deprive the others of the gospel by their indulgence. Now, all such self-denial will be rewarded in a future day. This is promised to us. The hunger is presented in its reality without spiritualization. Those who weep may be those who carry burden not only of personal grief, but of a hurting society. But both parts of verse 21 stress the contrast between the situation now and the future blessing. Blessed are you who weep now. Not that sorrow is in itself a blessing. The weeping of unsaved people has no lasting benefit connected with it. Now here Jesus is speaking about tears that are shed for his sake. Tears for lost, perishing mankind. Tears over the divided, impotent state of the church. All sorrow endured in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now those who sow in tears will reap in joy. The idea of laughter is vividly carried forward in the next section on persecution when we get to verses 22 through 26. Persecution is described in some detail and rejoice and leap for joy stand out all the more in verse 20 that's coming up. Now notice the progression from 8 verse 22 to exclusion to insult to defamation of their name, those who share the rejection of the Son of God relive the experience of the prophets. The promise of reward in heaven does not suggest that the disciples are to work for some future gain, but that there will be personal vindication for those who wait on God and appropriate recognition and blessing from the Lord. So in verse 22, blessed are you when they hate you. 
exclude you, revile you, and cast out your name as evil. This blessing is not for those who suffer for their own sins or stupidity. It's for those who are despised, excommunicated, reproached, and even slandered because of their loyalty to Christ. The key to understanding these four Beatitudes is found in the phrase, for the Son of Man's sake. Things that in themselves will be a curse become a blessing when willingly endured for Christ. But the motive must be for the love of Christ, for the love for Christ. Otherwise, the most heroic sacrifices would be worthless. Now, in verse 23, persecution for Christ is cause for great rejoicing. Because first, it will bring a great reward in heaven. And second, it associates the sufferer with his faithful witness of past ages. And his faithful witness is Christ, of course. Now, the four blessings describe the ideal person in the kingdom of God, the one who lives sacrificially, austerly, soberly, and invernally. So there's a quick look at our blessings. And I'm Going to stop there because the woes will take just a little bit more time to discuss, and we are kind of running short on time, so I'm going to save that for next time. So until next time, God bless each and every one of you, and keep living Christian strong.